Amen, brother. Charity, what a deep word, what a profound word. And to your last quote there, another saying that goes like this, husbands say, I am the head of this home and I have my wife's permission to say so. <clears throat> but yeah, it is a tremendous blessing to honor and a tremendous honor to witness and partake and celebrate with uh, the two couples here this morning and this day as uh, we are gathered to witness the second most important event in a person's life. Second most important. The first one was when you married to Jesus, your King and Lord, and He's coming back for you. He's coming back for His bride. Right now you just have an interim spouse, spouse. that's just for the intern. And it's for the, the time our sojourn here. As you begin a journey, just remember you are beginning a journey. This is the first page of a wonderful chapter that you have the, you have the privilege and the right to write it according to God's plan. And when we do, God multiplies the effort and so looking at the couples this morning the brides looked stunning and the bridegrooms look stunned as they say. <laughs> this is the third message I'm going to be having here this year on marriages I'm tempted to just copy and paste because uh, how many ways can you say the same thing the Bible tells us about husbands and wives and marriage? How many ways can you say it? I'll try to say the same thing in a slightly different way, but it's just the way it goes, you know. There's only so many ways you can <coughs> preach the same message. We have a big crowd here, many couples uh, uh, that uh, we can uh, that uh, can relate to the marriage covenant and the marriage union. You young you couples that are starting you're you can't relate to that yet you're just well um, we'll talk with you in a year or two but uh, as we witness these two couples committing themselves to each other for life this brings us to number five three marriages three weddings and the number five this year must be the bubble tea Or the matcha, or the Macau. What do, what do they say? I'll call those on the stuff here. You never know. But on a serious note, you know, we want to celebrate with you. As both couples are well past their teens. And so, however long it took for you to find each other hiding in plain sight, we'll rejoice with you anyway. We'll rejoice with you, and uh, we'll rejoice in, in God's great plan and provision because he is a God of provision so the Bible says in Proverbs 18 verse 22 he that finds a wife finds a good thing and there's many aspects we could talk about here and obtains favor of the Lord I looked it up in another translation I'm gonna look for it here it's further down in my message here another translation says the one who has found a good wife has found what good what goodness is and obtains a delightful gift from the Lord. Beautiful. Beautiful way to look at this. And it's God who taught of marriage first. It's God. It's God's order. It's God's institution. It's not our institution. It's God's institution. To, to not only for procreation, but to, for us to, for, to uh, for provision and a perfect environment that God created to bless mankind and multiply mankind and also fulfill the uh, needs in each other, just, um, I can't think of a more perfect plan. Of course, well, how could we? The author of life is the perfect engineer. He makes the perfect plans. You know why there's so much devastation in Christianity and in the world? Because we don't follow the plan. Man thinks he knows better. Man thinks he can, he can order his life according to their own ideas and feelings, and so they reap the consequences of it. 
But God, he knows best. And so the first institution is marriage. And so I want to take you back as my message today to that first institution. Take you back and uh, mostly, mostly it's going to be, um, we're going to be talking about Adam. Well, us Adams. And uh, our role and responsibility that he gave us as men. And uh, how God has a definite order and a definite way in which he fulfills and wants us to fulfill. And so we go back all the way to Genesis chapter 2. We see uh, a remarkable thing here when he created. You know, we, we don't go back to Genesis 1 and 2. We heard that when we, were, when we were children. And we kind of forget about it. You know, in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. And, and he, he goes on and, and, and uh, explains the creation. But I want to take you to chapter 2. When, um, after he made man. After he made man. You know, how he plans for man to fulfill man to help man and to meet all the needs of man first there's the physical the spiritual the intellectual and the emotional and God has designed that all these when he made man in his own image he had a definite order in not only in how he created and how he gave him the orders and gave him the plan for him when he told him to start dressing the garden. So God created everything. Then he made man in the end. And we start at verse 15 where he says, And the Lord God took the man, the man, and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Here we can see, maybe I should read everything and I'll go back. I will. I'll read uh, most of it here. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. That means suitable. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. I find that very interesting. To see what he would call them. And whatever soever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowls of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and the Lord, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. And he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones. Flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That's the only time this order was reversed. Therefore, shall man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Here God lays down the order and the beauty of the creation and the provision for man. And when I look at these verses, there are, there are, several, there are several pretty uh, significant life lessons, uh, marriage counsel that we can take out of this that we can uh, use to apply to our marriages, to our lives, and to our, just our, our, our complete surroundings. And we go back to verse 15, very first thing God says here, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. After God made man, he did not make him a woman. 
Evidently, that's not the first thing the man needs. Amen? Does a man need a woman? Yes. But the Bible, God didn't, after he made man, he didn't make a woman first. He said, he put him into the garden to dress it and to keep it. That tells me the first thing a man needs is work. First thing a man needs is work. Work keeps a man from destroying himself. Especially fallen man. Work helps a man stay out of all kinds of trouble. Work develops something sacred in a man. Dignity, satisfaction, um, and a sense of accomplishment and purpose. You watch people that have a lot of work. And there is just a, a, a piece about them that, you, you know, the, the, the protesters in society, there's only one thing wrong with those people. They don't have work. Then the devil gives them work. And so it's so, uh, there's, a, there's a very important thing. There. So the first thing you needed was not a woman, it was work. With work, we learn those valuable life skills. With work, we learn people skills. With the work, we learn responsibility, dependability. Do something, finish a job, make a good job. Discipline. Those are the things a man needs before he needs a wife. Because you don't want to bring a wife into a person's life who doesn't know how to work. He will wreck both his life and hers. Very first thing he said here. Second thing, chapter 16. No, verse 16, sorry. Verse 16, he says here, And the Lord God commanded man. What does command mean? Now God starts giving him his word. So God, no, man needs work, number one. Number two, man needs God's word. That's the spiritual aspect. The physical aspect first, then the spiritual. Commanded the man. You need his word. You need rules for life. You need a set, we need a set. We men, we're talking about men. To build a society, we need men. Women, our sisters are there to help the man achieve and fulfill him and complete him. And he said, commanded the man, of every tree in the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, Thou shalt surely die. So the second thing is, don't eat. Do's and don'ts. His word, his truth, his righteousness. You cannot exist in a vacuum. Young men, brothers, you cannot exist in a vacuum. You need a form, a pattern, guardrails, and a... Uh, uh, spiritual part aspect to your life that orders your life because work alone doesn't do it we see millions of people working hard but they serve the devil so we need a little more we need work but we need more than work and god says commands and when god brings his commands we can go to many aspects uh, that the ten commands we can go to jesus commands uh, we're four thousand five thousand six thousand years advanced now we see what god's word tells us when it comes to how we are to pattern our lives we have it all that's a message in and of itself but a young man a brother we see here learn the value Learn the spiritual aspect, the value of submitting to authority, the value of obedience to God's word and to know God's word. You see, a man begins a mini kingdom when he gets married. It says, jumping back to the last verse, he leaves father and mother. He goes out from under the authority, never the never fully goes out but we go out and begin and, and God delegates to men authority now 
to reproduce, to take the torch to the next generation, to take the, to, to, to give, when marriage, the baton is given over to the new generation. And that is such a beautiful picture. It almost chokes me up every time I see that. When, when dads and moms that are Christians and love God and love their children, when they give the baton over and allow them get, to get married and you see that passed over and they, and, and they begin a new chapter in their lives. They begin a new uh, 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 an authority, a mini kingdom. And through families and marriages, the kingdom of God is built on this earth. Forget that the kingdom of God is going to come with an observation, Jesus said. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. The kingdom of God begins in you. As you submit yourselves and surrender yourselves to the will of God, the kingdom of God operates inside you. And then it is evident outside of you. And so Jesus tells us, he that has my commandments and does them, he that is that love me. So young men, brothers and sisters, when we look at God's order here, we see men, we need to take our life serious. Work and spirituality. Brothers that seek to get married must have a spiritual footing if we want a generational church. He not only has a spiritual footing, he needs to be grounded in God's word and he needs to be done with the boy stuff and the boy toys. He should be done with playing boys with toys. Because they always say the only difference between men and boys is the size of the toys. It shouldn't be that way. When we're ready to step into marriage, we step into the kingdom of God. Number three then. Here's number three. We get, we, um, verse 18 kind of, that one, that's the one that, uh, I, I really enjoy this one. In verse 18 he says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him, and help meet for him. That is translated as suitable for him. But in verse 19, to, uh, in verse 19 he named the animals, and 20. And he brought them to Adam. God brought them to Adam to see what he would name them. And what do I get out of this? What, what do we get out of this? You see, we were created in God's image, brothers and sisters with incredible faculties, incredible abilities and intelligence and creativity. And God says, with, by, by giving the authority to Adam, he was telling him, you have now, I gave you everything you need to subdue the earth and to actually exercise those faculties that I gave you to make the world a better place. Exercise the faculties I gave you. That's the third thing. I gave you intelligence, use it. I gave you gifts, put them to practice under my authority. First, physical, spiritual, intellectual. It's quite something what men can do. It's quite amazing. The intellectual aspect of man is to be used to its maximum potential to take care of the earth, to be good stewards. To use the resources that God has given man to make this world a better place. To make life a better place. To make a better home for his family, for his children, for his church. To be engaged in the things intellectually as well as spiritually. And to me it's, to me it's simple. I just want to use the, 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 the intelligence that God gave me and the giftings that God gave me to leave the world better than I found it. When I came in, when my life, I began, we, those of us who are first generation back from relig dead religion, we know what it's like. We know what it was like back then. And we know what God, we already see what God has done. He multiplies the effort we serve a good God. We don't see the results of our efforts today and tomorrow and next year. 
But you look forward 10 years, 20, and we see a generation that has, that as a result of using our faculties that God has given us to make the world a better place, the world becomes a better place. Only thing men need to do to make evil go uh, have its way is do nothing. Just go enjoy, watch TV, watch phones, go, go on, on social media, waste your life away on nonsense, and the world will deteriorate around you by itself. You don't need to do anything there. It just goes there because gravity pulls down. And so men, use the gifts God has given you. Engage. Make the world a better place. God's watching. He says to see what he would name the animals. I find that fascinating. Let's see what, what that intelligence is going to do. That's pretty good, huh? What that intelligence, I gave you something here. I made you in my image. Go name the animals. He didn't just say to Adam, okay, name this one a giraffe, name this one a... No, you do it. I give you full authority to do it. That's a beautiful picture. And the last one. Oh, now he takes care of the emotional part. And so if this man is uh, now a good hard worker, spiritually under God's authority, using his giftings and abilities to his maximum potential, you know, I, I have a little I have a, a thought that, that often comes to my mind is every young man before he gets married should build his own house. The, old, the, old, the elders from the past, my dad used to say, you know, when they came to Alfred, a German, Alfred, uh, when, the, when the couples came, when a young man came to a, another colony to pick, to ask for his wife, the dad or the preacher whatever, would say, well, what kind of a handwerk does he know? Does he know any, does, can he do, has he any skills? And if he's got no skills, send them home. That's what, the, that's what my dad used to say. So, yeah, interesting, huh? So, uh, using, these, using those uh, faculties is a, is a good thing under God's direct and under, especially coming under church authority, you have an you have opportunity to, to exercise your gifts apart from the world's pressures and apart from the world's system. We have a parallel society, literally. And so I, I think the sky is the limit what God can do with his people if we engage in that order. So the last, last thing he says here, verse uh, 21 to 24, we go back to the text here, and he, the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Now this man, this is the man, uh, he needs a helper. He needs someone to stand beside him through thick and thin. He needs this special gift, and a woman that fears the Lord is a gift. From God. Your spouse, brothers, is a gift from the Lord. Treasure it. Cherish. Hold dear. It's also reversed. Wives, your husband is also a gift. God takes care of everything. And he took care of, of every aspect of our lives. A provision that is amazing, beautiful, and glorious. And I thank God for that every... I, you know, at the end there I'm going to say a couple of things on, uh, on the weapons that we can use to fight this warfare. Fight for the kingdom. But uh, you see this... Uh, how men and women can, uh, brothers and sisters can not supplement each other, complete each other. They're not made to compete each, with each other. Never made to be that way. Never. We're opposites, male and female. That's pretty obvious. You have entirely different roles, but the same purpose in life. You have roles to play that only you can fulfill. There is no other creation except the one, the woman, which comes out of man from the rib, that can meet 
your what you provide. It is impossible. There's a perversion in society that actually thinks they can reverse that. And the devastation that's happening as a result in real time is absolutely <coughs> shocking. God knew what he was doing. God knows what he's doing. Thank you, Lord, for providing. Proverbs 31, verse 10 says, Who can find a wife of noble character? For her value is far above rubies. And so this is the definite order that God has. For men, and so even more, more for women, as you see in marriage is the beginning, this institution is the beginning of a lifelong journey together where there's, where we... Uh, Look at that partner beside us and say, forever, till death do we part. No clauses, no options, no second. That's, doesn't, that doesn't even get into our minds and thoughts when we, when we as, as Anab the Anabaptists and we as, as Christians, not Anabaptists, true Christianity, that is not even a clause. This is for life. And that's how the kingdom gets advanced. And uh, Brother Duane had this uh, love chapter. So I want, just want to read a little bit in, uh, go back to Ephesians. We know the order there. I'm not going to spend much time on it, as we had quite a bit uh, in the last message. Most, many of you were here. Oh, it's Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at the roles. Verse 22 to 25. We see wives, sisters, uh, and you've heard me say this many times already, you represent the church. You represent the church. Christ is the bridegroom. You are the bride. The woman is, is depicted in the Bible over and over and over as representing the church. And when we look at that imagery, it's absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. How, who is the one that reproduces? The woman reproduces. But she needs a husband to reproduce. And so the, in the, the church, Christ needs to be the head of the, of the church, just as Christ needs to be the, uh, the head of the home. And the husband, the head of the home. The order is it's, it's, it's totally uh, in, in order. And it, it goes right down from God himself right down to children. And it is just beautiful. So I'm just going to read this as well. Wives, submit yourselves. Verse 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. Here he gives the, the recipe for a successful marriage. Even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, he doesn't just talk to the wives now, he talks to the husbands. Love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Paul went on and said it. He gave himself for it. That's how much he loved the church. He gave himself for it. He laid his life down. He allowed himself to be brutalized, tortured, crucified, killed, shed his blood for the church, for the people of God. That is a love that knows no bounds. We're humans, and yes, we will fail. But he gives us the ideal, he gives us the goal to shoot for. He gives us the, the lofty standard how we ought to live. That he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it unto himself a glorious church. 
There again, as the wives depict the glory of the man, so the church depicts the glory of Christ. Why do you think women go through all that trouble to make themselves pretty and beautiful? That doesn't come from the devil, that comes from God. So there you can, you can appease yourself, ladies, if you spend extra time in front of the mirror. Apparently it comes from the Lord. God has, he says, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. I know what I want to say here, but I won't. <clears throat> or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Have you ever read these verses? That is Christ and his church. That's why the bride does it, to show us men that's how he wants his church to be. Sisters, they go through so much trouble. They, go, they, they, they do all this, and that is a, that is a, that is a uh, instead of looking at it negatively, I think we should maybe start looking at it more positively. But you know, there's a limit. As one man said once to me, it's okay for a woman to make herself beautiful, but she shouldn't look like she just come out of a paint shop. <clears throat> but make yourself beautiful because it's the image of Christ. You're portraying the church of Jesus Christ and the glory of the church. Nothing wrong with that. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. A man that does not love his wife hates himself, the Bible says. There's something wrong with our lives, men. Something wrong. If we can't love our wives, something wrong. We're hating our own selves for some reason. Maybe it's sin. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. He goes right down to the deepest part. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it even as the Lord the church. <coughs> for we are members of his uh, for this cause for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless let every one of you so in particular love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. There's the recipe for successful marriages. There's the recipe for the home. There's the recipe for the kingdom of God. As Brother Dwayne had in his opening, the love chapter. That's the recipe to overpower all the forces of darkness that fight against our marriages, that fight against our fellowships, that fight against our relationships. If you drill down past the surface of every breakdown in society and marriage and relationship, sin is at the core. Rebellion is at the core. Selfishness is at the core. Every single time, you don't need uh, somebody with a, with a PhD in theology to figure out, or in, in human relationships, to figure it out. Sin divides, harms, hurts, and destroys. And men, very important that you have a clear conscience. Keep your lives free from sin, the love of money, and all kinds of evil influence. Because it's then very easy to blame others for the demise or dilemma in your own lives. Christ, and nevertheless, he says, 
Let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So here's the recipe. I'm not going to go into it. We read it. That looks beautiful to me. It says everything we need to say. Uh, sisters, submission is a beautiful word. It shows maturity. It shows you trust God because you are now trusting, putting your trust in a man that you hope and you trust is a man of God. And you put yourself under that order of God's uh, way and you can rightfully claim the promises in his word. Rightfully. You have a right to claim the promises when you follow the order and the plan. Amen? And so, sisters, you have no idea how far it goes in you making the home, the house, a home. No idea. Our brothers, you play a major role too. You love your wife. You may put yourself in God's order. Submit yourself. Put yourself under, into, into a, uh, connect yourself to a church body. Be connected. Be on board. Be, be devoted, as I said at the beginning here. Those are the things that will go light years in advancing the blessings in your personal life in your marriages, and in your fellowships. And I don't think I need to say this, but I'll say it anyway, ladies. That is why when we, we know when our sisters are emotional creatures, it's easy for us to kind of get swooned. I don't know, actually. I don't know why I'm saying this, but that's kind of from experience we see it, you know. <clears throat> uh, and I encourage sisters to enter that, enter every time a relationship, you enter a relationship that you don't let your heart go ahead of you. Use your head, go, go with your head first to see if there's a man you want to submit to. You can submit yourself to. Is there a man of God that, that is uh, first with your head, spiritually, and then with your heart. And that way you will save, spare yourself a lot of pain and a lot of uh, heartache down the road. That is God's order. And it's, it's a shame, but it still happens. There are still many men that do not walk under the authority of God, that don't walk under the love of God. That don't. And uh, it's my heart's desire that all the teaching and the preaching and the examples I try to give before my children, before my brothers of godliness. Um, of course, I'm a human being too, and I fail. But I try to walk in the order that I preach. And uh, at the same time, it's up to each individual to make that choice themselves. Nobody can compel anybody else to walk the narrow way. That's our decision that we must make. I will walk before my God, as Joshua said. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So yeah, I'll move on towards the end here. So a word to the couples, Carl and Linda, Shane, Indiana. As you begin this journey, you will notice things about your spouse that you didn't notice before. And, you know, vice versa. You'll find out your spouse is not perfect. But while they are perfect in your eyes, you cherish it, by the way. Reality will come soon enough. You'll find the temptation maybe to be to, mo to try and shape and mold and, and, and to try and, and, and change a person. It's not our responsibility to change the other. It's our responsibility to love the other. And in that invokes the most change in a relationship. True love inspires and sacrifices and brings the greatest change in your spouse more than you could ever imagine biggest change in your spouse. Life lessons, don't talk about your spouse to others. That should well, that one should be should be should go without saying. Spouses, don't talk about your spouse to anybody else unless by um, 
to, to, for counsel with agreement to a pastor, to someone who wants to walk you through maybe a, a, a situation that is perfect and, and permissible. But cherish the other. If you cherish the other, you'll never talk about them or behind their back or to anybody else. Sisters, that goes for you too. You joined your husband, follow him. Your home, make your house a home. A house is not a home. A home is made by the relationship that is in that house. And so a home is not an institution. If somebody thinks it is, sorry. Marriage is the institution. A home is a place, is a haven, a safe place. A home is a place where relationships are cherished and nurtured and life is nurtured and protected and kept and grown and developed. That's the home. It should never be an institution, never meant to be an institution. If, it, if you try to make your home an institution, you will have neither a home or an institution. You'll have neither. We have institutions. For, for the practical stuff. So yeah, you don't marry one person, you marry three persons. The person you think they are, the person they are, and the person they're going to become as a result of being married to you. Now you've got a chance to make a beautiful person out of that person beside you. Isn't that amazing? And you don't need to do it overnight. You see, <clears throat> you got lots of time together. Lots of time. Till, I guess till God, till death do we part, we see it. Don't compare your love story with movies and romance novels. Young girls, I'm saying that to you as well. All these stories are written by screenwriters. Your story is written by God. Don't try to compare it with novels, romance novels. My advice to you is burn them all up. Delete them from your phones. They will give you a warped image of what marriage is, of what a relationship is. Delete them. Don't read them anymore. Because they all say they live happily ever after, right? They all, they all stops right at the wedding table, right at the wedding. Everything stops right there. Nobody goes on to tell the story of the mess that goes on five, ten years later. Remember, not too many, not too many novels written about that. The only novels that are written about it are, are, are uh, marriage counseling sessions from the, from the broken lives. Have you ever noticed? So your love story is written by God, not by screenwriters. That's my counsel to you. And so the last message this is going to be my closing words here. The last message. Uh, in the summer, I used the recipe for uh, strong marriages. I used the, what, what the recipe is and uh, um, the ingredients and the recipe to make strong marriages because they have to be built. Uh, today, I just want to, in, um, in closing here, I just want to use several words as instead of, instead of using the word recipe, we're going to use weapons. Because our relationships, somebody hates it. H hates every relationship. It's the devil, our arch enemy. He hates them. And he will do everything to undermine them. He will do everything he can to bring chaos in the home. He is a real enemy. But we have someone greater than him and his henchmen. Because greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. The only problem is many of us don't know how to use the weapons that he's already given us. And so here are the weapons. We're just going to go over them quickly. It won't take long. Our first one, first weapon in, in to, to fight the enemy is forgiveness. Don't think for one second you're not going to need to forgive your spouse at one time or another. Not only forgive, but also be humble enough to say, I'm sorry. Two little words. You're right. How did, how did Dwayne say it? Yes, dear. I'm sorry and yes, dear. 
Three little words. That is a powerful, powerful weapon. And Jesus tells us it is a powerful weapon. It demolishes the ground from under the enemy. When we forgive, choose to forgive, and ask for forgiveness. Second one is forbearance. The Bible uses forbearance quite often. Forbearing one another in love. That goes also for the marriage. You know, Forbearing means we give the other person the space they need to grow and be themselves. That's forbearing. Forbearing is like you don't try to mold your spouse into someone, your image of them. You don't try to shape them and mold. You forbear with them. Take, you know, you, you, you're, you're going to say here through good times and bad times, right? Men and women are opposite, which is really obvious. So how can you shape your husband or your wife to what you think they should be? No, they should be shaped according to what God says they should be. The woman with the femininity and the homemaker, the men with the, with the breadwinner and the authority and, and leading the way. That's what you should need to be shaped. But Peter just says, give honor to the wife because you are both joint heirs of the grace of life. Third one is faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. We sing the song. Believe. Believe this is your treasured possession from God. Believe that God has given you the spouse you need. Believe that God is interested in your happiness and in your blessings because he said it is my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Believe that. And when you believe your spouse is a gift from God, you will cherish God's amazing plan for your life. And you will see the benefits. Fourth one, flexibility. Write them down. Repeat them to one another. Fourth one is flexibility. You know, some of the worst marriage partners there are, are those who are rigid and set in their ways and their thinking. I let you think about that one for a bit. Flexibility is a powerful weapon. Being flexible. What does that mean, being flexible? Well, a marriage that is not flexible where one or the other partner is no flag. If he's rigid, set it, or she is set in their ways and their ideas and their things go my way, and uh, as I say, is like a marriage. That marriage is like taking a ride in a dune buggy. True, the worst Saskatchewan highway there is. Every single bump in the road becomes a crisis. Every single challenge becomes bang, you're bang your head, you're ever, you know, drive something that has no springs. No, that has no, no springs and no, uh, how do you call it, no shock absorbers. No suspension. It's a horrible ride. But if we're flexible, you know, it smooths out the ride. Fifth one is faithfulness. That goes without saying, mostly to men, be faithful to your wives. This porn and lust-saturated society has destroyed so many marriages, it is an epic disaster. Run from that with your life. If you need help, get help. This will destroy your marriage. Deliverance is the only option. There is no other option. There's no in-between grounds when it comes to that. Last one. Friendliness, affection, and thanksgiving. We can put them together. In everything, give thanks. Attitude of gratitude. You have a bad day. It's an exercise. You don't have to... Uh, some people... Um, it's, it's a major chore to find something to be thankful for. And you can see it on their faces. But if you exercise it on a daily basis, you will find when you have a bad day, when you have a bad challenge, you will find something to be thankful for. 
And when you find something to be thankful for, it, it kind of releases, uh, it releases a, something in your system and you actually feel it. Because you can't be thankful and grumpy at the same time. You can't be thankful and rebellious at the same time. These two are mutually exclusive. And so find something to give thanks for whenever you have a bad moment. And you will see the enemy taken off like, like, you know, like you should, you know. So in conclusion, Revelations 19, we all love marriages. We love to see what happens. We love to see God's plan at work. And so uh, Revelations 9, 13, verse 7, the Bible says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the lame has come. The marriage of the two couples has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Pretty good symbol, huh? For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the lame. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. How beautiful is that? Yes, you have my blessings. We want to give God the glory and the honor. We know there's a lot more that can be said about marriages and the sacred institution. But we're going to move on to the, to the, you want to get this over with already anyway, so let's, uh, let's have uh, Reuben uh, get the song ready. We're going to sing a song, and then Brother Dave is going to have the prayer for the couples, and then I'll come back up and we will finish with the ceremony.